Video games are the youth phenomenon of our day. That's right, they're playing video games for money. And I'm definitely not gonna let uh, mass effect in my house. The level of violence on video games is really shaping young people's thoughts. Hey, my mom just canceled my brother's World of Warcraft account, and he is The children are developing relationships with all these Pokemon creatures. And then there's the argument that video games can be art. USS, I can't What started with a little game called Pong only grows with every advance in microtechnology. Hi, we're the Hit Point Pals, where Ganondorf is Ganon Daddy. I'm William. And I am Travis, and that's correct. Indeed. Speaking of Ganondorf and uh, the Legend of Zelda, there's some Legend of Zelda news that has just come out. A little bit later, we're going to be talking about Total War Three Kingdoms, which got pushed back a couple of months. Indeed, and in equally sad, or actually sadder news, we're going to be talking about the Blizzard layoffs. Also, the second season of the Overwatch League kicks off this week, and we'll wrap up with a discussion of games we've been playing. Welcome to Hit Point, pals. Yeah, so let's dive right into, uh, I guess, Link's Awakening, because that's the, 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 the big new thing in the Legend of Zelda series, or in this case, the big old thing so i watched the nintendo direct on tuesday and it well, it didn't i'll be honest it didn't interest me very much none of the mm-hmm. things that they had announced really excited me until um they they really built up this this final big reveal at the end and when it turned out to be link's awakening um i don't know i got some chills and i said to myself this looks great yeah i mean i, I was pretty surprised i did not watch um the full direct so i did not see the final like big reveal until i read about it later a few hours later and i thought link's awakening what it's getting it's getting a remake on switch what so then i finally got around to watching it and uh yeah it was it was very neat i did not expect that art style but it certainly looks good the um, art style is cool like i i get the feeling that these the characters in this world are supposed to feel very small, like they're almost like toys or something. I'm not really sure what the reasoning behind that is. Um, I guess maybe like if you're if you're talking about people who have played the original game like over a couple decades ago, which I mean, that's like that's before my time. But if you're trying to like cater to those people, maybe this is kind of supposed to be some sort of connection to like this is like your childhood and this these are like the toys you played with or something this is a very mm. loose comparison but um maybe i don't know that's just yeah. kind of what i had drawn up in my mind yeah i mean i guess that makes sense i know link links so what i know of link's awakening is it's kind of like a it's a very unserious kind of light-hearted legend of zelda game it's quirky as evident by the fact that uh in the in the original game and in this uh new trailer you see chain chomps from mario as well as goombas yeah um, so it's Goombas, like okay you've got little kirby type dudes um yeah. i swear the egg on top of the mountain looks like <laughs> a yoshi egg there's it, it was from a weird time when they had i guess what had happened was that they had ported link to the past to handheld to the game boy and then after succeeding with that they decided to say hey we're going to make uh, a brand new game for handheld and I don't know if it was because, like, they, they they didn't take it as seriously or what because it was handheld, but it seemed like they just decided to do some weird and goofy stuff with it. Yeah, I'm guessing that's because maybe because it's a handheld and kind of 
maybe maybe kind of a spin-off because it's not on one of the big home consoles at the time they were given you know more they had more creative freedom or maybe they felt more free to do just like oh yeah let's do that that'd be fun right like it definitely feels like like a fit yeah yeah i mean it definitely feels like a spin-off but not like a bad spin-off it feels like its own little self-contained story because the world of link's awakening is fairly small if you compare it to other zelda games and it just feels very uh contained within this little town with all these wacky people and then all these wacky things that you encounter I mean, it's not okay. All of the Legend of Zelda games have like wacky things, but mm. in this case, I mean, they're introducing s- some elements that they're bringing over from other games and stuff. It's just, it's like, a, it's like a weird, s- like snapshot of a game to look at because none of the other Legend of Zelda games have quite that same sort of like atmosphere and over the top like quirkiness injected into them, really. Yeah, and it's it's interesting that we're getting a link, uh, Link's Awakening as a remake because, you know, the Legend of Zelda series now is so well established and it's kind of got this, uh, maybe not so much a defined look because you know there's always a different look to a lot of these Legend of Zelda games, but there's kind of a defined when you think Legend of Zelda, you kind of have a certain idea in your head, and this is from a time when maybe it, you know wasn't really as established. Yeah. So it's like, oh, yeah, interesting. They, they've got lots of freedom there. And I'm, I'd be interested to see, from what I've seen so far of the Link's uh, Awakening uh, remake in, from the trailers, it seems like a pretty faithful remake, but I wonder what other things they might add or change for today. Yeah, I was thinking about that because they did, uh, when they did A Link Between Worlds, it was a sequel to A Link to the Past. Uh, and... I mean, that's many generations removed, and it's a sequel, but this game is it's the same title. So mm-hmm. for, from, from all I can tell, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's supposed to be just a straight remake uh, or reimagining, I guess. Re- remake, reimagining, I, they're kind of interchangeable. But, um, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there were things that were changed. I mean, we know that, uh, I, I know that in Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time 3D, there are a few gameplay-wise things that have been changed, but for the most part, it's a very uh, straight remake, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what all they would change, if anything, for, like you said, a remake or reimagining, as opposed to, like, a new entry where they could very freely innovate, whereas this, it's a remake, so certain things... I mean, you you very much need a lot of the original game there, or else you're not really remaking, you're just making a new thing. Yeah, and people on social media were very quick to take uh, screenshots of the of the announcement trailer and set them side by side with screen caps from the old game, and mm-hmm. that it really shows how all these different like locations and stuff match up like to the pixel, basically. Um, if you've ever seen any footage or gameplay from the Pokemon Let's Go games, they are kind of the same idea. It's like taking the the uh, overworld view of um, it's t- taking the overhead like top down two D view of the Fire Red or the original like Red and Blue games or Pokemon Yellow, and just translating that into a, a slight tilt and very modern updated graphics. Um, you can put a lot of those. Uh, game screenshots side by side and see how those line up very well because Link's Awakening and Pokemon Let's Go both of these remakes they they still have this very 
um, constrained feeling of you're still looking at a, like a 2D space, basically, but it's just been made to look very 3D is what I would say. Yeah, it's it's 3D, but that third dimension does not apply in any way to the gameplay. Right. It's 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 interesting because it's <laughs> it's not like they took it's not like they took the game and made it like a third person over the shoulder or anything. They took it and they just made it uh, brand new looking without changing any of the core mechanics. This is what it looks like anyway. We've just seen trailers, but I mean, yeah, yeah, we, that was we, my takeaway. From... We're basing all this off of, you know, one trailer at the end of uh, the Nintendo Direct. But, right. you know, I, I think on the whole, the fact that it's a remake, it's, you know, called Link's Awakening. And from what we've seen, it, it looks like it'll be a pretty faithful remake. Uh, just maybe with visuals changed. Better wake up. Wake up, Link. Link, get woke. Uh, at the Nintendo Direct, uh, very early on, I think I think it was the first thing they showed... Uh, Super it Mario was, Maker yeah. 2. Okay, yeah. Super Mario Maker 2 was shown off. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I have no interest in Super Mario Maker. I have enjoyed the Mario games that I've played. Um, haven't played one since uh, Super Mario Brothers 3. But, you know, I like them. Uh, it seems like a very popular game series of theirs. Uh, I won't pick it up uh, because I don't own a Switch, but... Uh, it seems interesting. Uh, seems like there's a lot of positive reception, uh, towards it right now online. Yeah. So the original Super Mario Maker was for the Wii U, and I believe there was a some version of a port for the 3DS. Yes. Does that sound right? I, b- okay. I believe so. I and so I think a lot of people were anticipating a Super Mario Maker 2 for the Switch at some point, or a version mm-hmm. of Super Mario Maker for the Switch. Uh, I just think in terms of video games as a whole that it's kind of it's kind of a very neat thing because you can look back at like mario from decades ago kind of being the original platformer and then now we have a tool that is just there for anyone to pick up and create their own mario games i think it's just kind of a a neat way to like i don't know almost like relive a bit of like gaming history and just kind of because, I mean, back then, that was such innovative stuff. You've got, like, the smartest people in the world making these games, and then they just release this stuff for you to come out and make it yourselves for anyone to, to play around with it. I just think it's a cool indication of, like, how far things have come. Yeah, and I mean, per- per- if, even if I did own a Switch, I don't think I would be too interested in picking it up. But as, as a thing that exists, I think it's really cool, especially for, you know, kids... Because it's, I mean, it's one thing to like play games and it's, but it's a whole nother thing to kind of get hands on with something. I mean, this isn't exactly, you know, an an educational tool, but I think getting hands on with thinking about how like, oh, well, you know, I've played these games, but how do they, how do they go together? What, what do I find fun and being able to kind of quite literally make a whole level that is, that you imagine. I don't know. I think that's, that's really cool for kids. And I kind of wish... I had something like that when I was younger, but <laughs> yeah, you know, I, th- I think on the whole, yeah, it's pr- it's pretty neat. Yeah, I mean, if this was my childhood era, which it is not, I, <laughs> I, I'm sure that I would love Super Mario Maker because I mean, I don't know. When I was a kid, I liked to, to like I liked to draw weird maps on paper and stuff, and I liked mm-hmm. to build things in SimCity, and I liked to try to recreate things from real life in SimCity. So yeah, I think this might this might have been something that. Had I been born like 10 years later, that this would probably be something that would have really captivated me. The Nintendo Direct also showed off a, a new Fire Emblem, which 
I don't really have too much to say. Uh, I, I think if you're aware of what the Fire Emblem series is, that name alone immediately tells you what the game's going to be like. Uh, I don't see anything too new or too interesting to me. So, uh, Man, that part of the Direct, for me, honestly, was a blur. But a lot of it, I think, is because I, I don't follow Fire Emblem. But another part was like how... I, and it's a cultural disconnect, but the trailer was cut so strangely. <laughs> Yeah, and it was like equal parts like showing off stuff in the game and also like a, a lore introduction. Yes, and what and I got I... from it was like you're a teacher <laughs> at a school where the, it's like wizards, but they're like it's very dangerous and you, your students are going to die and you got to protect them. <laughs> yeah, and uh, man, I don't know. Like I've liked the Fire Emblem, Fire Emblem games that I have played, but... I don't know. I, I feel like all those games are pretty much the same thing, which is fine. I mean, yeah, if you're buying a Fire Emblem game, you want the Fire Emblem experience. But man, that uh, that little like trailer or teaser for it where, we, where they start talking about the different kingdoms and all the lore to me was just, ooh, no, don't do this now. <laughs> Save this for like the game. You're just this is too much information for something I'm not too interested in right now. And it's just all these like fantasy trope names and these kingdoms and all this stuff of these orders. And it's just, man, this is this reeks of generic fantasy. Yeah. But I mean, that, that's evidently what people, you know, like in Fire Emblem. And that's kind of what the Fire Emblem games have always been. So, yeah. Tetris 99. Oh, hell yeah. Can't anyone wait here, for anyone here for Tetris 99. Anyone here to die in Tetris 99? Everyone's Is favorite? Tetris 99 a battle royale? Yes. Okay. There will be 99 players against one another, and only one will get the victory royale. But, okay, but that's just like, that's a last man standing thing. That's like a free-for-all in a shooter. That's That's like anything. That's To me, a battle royale is about exploring and scavenging and being yeah, I'm scavenging by the circle order of blocks to get the victory i guess if you want to call I'm it a battle royale, <laughs> it, a battle royale. it sure. doesn't make any sense to me what like what has the term battle royale even evolved into at this point a big battle that's quite uh that's that's it tetris 99 uh yep coming coming to nintendo switch online subscribers so hell yeah i don't know what that is it is the Nintendo Online service, kind of like how you have Xbox Live, PlayStation Network. Okay, Unlike those, I however, I don't know how much uh, that costs. It has much less features, but uh, yeah. I believe uh, for Nintendo Switch Online, like Xbox Live, I think you can get cloud saves for free. But I think uh, on Nintendo Switch, you have to pay for online to get cloud saves. Hmm. The like, server hmm, space over at Nintendo must be very scarce. It's like, man... Uh, I mean, I can kind of understand doing that, but at the same time, it's a handheld. I feel like cloud saves are very important. Yeah. But, yeah. Hmm. Or maybe not, because you're picking up your handheld and you're going wherever with it. I guess, but, you know, you might lose your handheld. It might get stolen or something. And that, I feel, is a lot less likely to happen to your Xbox or your PlayStation 4. Un unless you carry them around with you in public, which at which point, you know, hey. Speaking of handhelds and the Switch, uh, I think... To me, the idea that Link's Awakening is being released for the Switch rather than, like, the 3DS kind of signals maybe, like, a confirmation of the end of the 3DS. 
yeah, yeah, I guess so. Because um, I mean, the Switch is so like hybrid, really. Like when they mm -hmm. first announced it, and they were like, hey, "It's portable." I in my head, I thought of it as like it's still a console. It's still like a console. But the fact that there's no modern like companion handheld or anything, like it, it really it gives me the impression that it's it's very much what it says it is. It's a hybrid console uh, handheld. And it just seems like all of the game. I mean, there's a new Pokemon game. It's supposed to come out. It's presumably going to come out for the Switch. They're not making things for the 3DS anymore. Is just what it feels like. And I think everything's trying to be very centralized on this one on this one new hybrid platform. Yeah, I mean, the 3DS came out back in what, like 2011. Yeah. And then they did that new new 3DS with like the slight change in layout and hardware in 2014. So it's been it's been five years since the last kind of touch up on the 3DS line. I mean, right. they've come out with new like cases and things for 3DS, new 3DS XL, new 2DS, and so forth. But on the whole, the hardware hasn't changed. So yeah, I mean, I would expect them to be pushing for the the Switch to be the the new. Like the the Nintendo console, as opposed to having their portable and their home console line, by putting all of their effort into the Switch, which is both a home and portable uh, game console, you know you can focus your resources and you can cover both bases. And the Switch is selling really well, so yeah, I mean the the 3DS, I yeah, it's approaching the end if it's not already there. I wonder if. Um if the Switch would ever get a updated model, kind of in the same vein that the 3DS had a bunch of upgraded models. Um, I know, so Nintendo hasn't really done that with their main consoles. Like, the GameCube only had one model ever. The mm -hmm. Wii only had, I think the Wii only had one model. I didn't really follow the Wii. Um, the Wii pretty much had, yeah, hardware-wise, it had, like, one model. I think near the end it came out with the Wii Mini. Hmm. Oh, but that okay. was still just a, a Wii. Wow, I don't even remember that. So, yeah, I mean, I would wonder if they would ever release an upgraded Switch or anything. Um, They did I, They did say that they're not working on it currently, but I guess, like, 2020 or beyond, maybe, is what I'm thinking. Yeah, that could also be just corporate talk for, like, sure. uh... No, we don't. We don't have a whoa. <laughs> what? So this there's nothing behind my back. Nintendo Switch. I don't. What is? Uh, is that a Sony product? What is that? Um, I I think so. With 3DS, when they came out with the new 3DS, it got some benefits like faster loading times and maybe faster performance uh, overall. Yeah. But on the whole, it didn't really have anything that was too exclusive to it. I think some eShop things required new 3DS, mm. and I think. At least one game required new 3DS, but I don't see them doing that with Switch because for such a, like, it's the big Nintendo console. I feel that would cause problems to have the Switch and the new Switch and then have parents buy their kids a game for new Switch when they only had Switch and it's just like Wii and Wii U all over again. Right. I mean, if it was a case of everything was was completely compatible, then I think... That would be something they would totally do, like how oh yeah yeah you can play any PlayStation game on PlayStation, whether you've got a PS4 or a PS4 Pro. Yeah, like the different models and things, or even hardware variations. There's some differences and maybe some features, you know, like PS4 Pro can do like 4K and so on. Right. But on the whole, if you've got a PS4, you can play 
PS4 games. Yeah, There's and no, they like, say certain games are enhanced for PS4 Pro, but there isn't a game that requires you to have a PS4. Yeah, Pro you're not going to buy a PS4 game and then take it take it home and then open it up and it goes, oh, sorry, you need to, this is a PS4 Slim game. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a thing. And same thing for Xbox. So uh, while they, they kind of dabble with that, for, well, Nintendo kind of dabbled with that for uh, the 3DS and new 3DS, if we get a new Switch... Um, I would assume maybe it would be maybe slightly faster hardware just to help out with like loading times and make the experiences that are already there even smoother. Mm-hmm. But I don't see them doing too much in like the line of a hardware refresh. I, I suspect that they would they would just stick with what they've got and then release a new console in the future rather than do some sort of a refresh. Yeah. I mean, it'd be nice to have 1080, uh, 60, but that now, now that's just me wishing for things <laughs> that are probably never going to happen. Uh, yeah, I don't think that we're going to be getting that on handheld yet. Right. Handheld uh, console hybrid? I don't know what to call it anymore. A? Ah. Uh, oh, man, I don't know. I feel like, hmm. Hmm. I'm also very curious just to see what sony and what microsoft do for the next gen of consoles are they also going to have portable things that you can pick up and take with you i don't think so you don't want to like strap a ps5 pro to your back and walk around town with it no and i don't think we're going to be getting things like that because they're competing in the the high end you know with like visuals and that's always the big thing they show off right well nintendo wants to be this very uh friendly family family friendly yeah it's very easy to use thing it's a nintendo machine you've got the xbox and playstation for other games and then you've got nintendo for nintendo games yeah that's pretty much it i mean i yeah i don't see microsoft or sony competing in the handheld market um Sony yeah, probably I mean, learned their lesson with the Vita. Or, yeah, which is odd yeah. because the PSP, while it didn't sell anywhere near what the DS had, it did pretty well. Um, I mean, I owned a PSP, and I like to be able to play PS1 games on it, connect to the online store, listen to really loud UMD discs while I tried to play games on it. But I think it was a really, really neat handheld. And then, What is a UMD disc? Uh, that was like Sony's Universal Media Disc that they were pushing. Back when the PSP came out and you'd go to like Walmarts and there would be huge things of UMDs for movies and games because Sony was really trying to make that what? a thing. I, yeah, this, I remember. Okay, this sounds like a, this is, this feels like a very distant memory of mine. It also kind of feels like you're making things up. Well, it would have been over a decade ago, but when, yeah, when we were like younger, yeah, you could go to Walmart or Target and get, there'd be just kiosks of UMDs. That yeah, I have worked with I like PSP. I, I have like just enough of like a glimmer of a memory of that that I believe you. And I, I suppose it's also you didn't own a PSP, so right, for you it right. would just have been like, yep, there's some stuff, but I I'm looking for something else. But yeah, they had these UMD things, but those never really took off because the PSP disc drive was kind of loud. And mm-hmm. also, I am not going to buy. No one was going to buy a movie on umd that they could not play on anything else yeah that doesn't make any sense yeah like unless it's unless it was like loads cheaper or something and i don't think they were because it was such a weird proprietary format which is just yeah it it didn't really catch on the only Uh, way for movies for games it went fine 
the only way that would have worked, and this would never work today because everything's digital, but yeah. the only way that would have worked is if they came as like a bonus when you bought like a regular home media release. Yeah, which would have also just been so expensive to, produce, to like bundle yeah. in. Yeah. So, so nobody yeah. wins here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even though Sony really, really tried. But I guess this was also at the time with like the PS3 was it's had its own very strange architecture and they were so certain that they would just dominate the market and then they mm -hmm. priced their console like 600 bucks and nobody bought it right so that was a kind of a period of missteps for, for sony but the psp and in the end the ps3 did really really well um and then they followed the psp up with the ps vita and that thing i don't know i get the feeling sony didn't even want to release that thing it got some half-ass support and then I feel like a year after it came out, nobody was talking about the Vita. I didn't know anybody who owned the Vita. I Yeah, I've heard there's a few really good titles for the Vita, but it sounds like there's literally a few, as in there's not really that much incentive to buy a whole handheld system just to play yeah. a few. And they're also in genres that I don't usually touch, like the jrpg or like anime visual novel-esque side of things mm -hmm. i think yeah, it was think, like a um, danganronpa game for ps vita yeah i really think liked. the best or at least from one of my one of one of my friends had told me the best version of persona 4 is available on vita right, which is just like also. man why on earth would you restrict the best version of that game to that handheld but you know yeah whatever uh, a few years after the vita came out they came out with something called the pstv which was essentially just a Vita in a little box that <laughs> you plug into. It doesn't sound like a real thing. No, they came out in stores and they were everywhere. It was just a PS Vita in a box and you would plug it in. And, uh, and it was like $100. Um, and it was supposed to be like, oh, you can play PS Vita games and use like a PS Vita on your TV, which sounded kind of neat. It's, it seemed like they were kind of recouping maybe software investments they had made on the Vita, but trying mm -hmm. to port all of that to a different platform. But it had issues like... Some PS Vita games would not play on PS TV. Um, PS TV could only put out at 720, so okay, not exactly great for media consumption. And a lot of PS One games that work on PSP were not playable on PS Vita for some reason, so therefore they weren't playable on PS TV. So you've essentially got a unsuccessful handheld in an even worse form factor with less things. And by the end of that, I remember seeing them at like fred meyer for like 30 dollars they were just trying to get rid of them but they couldn't do anything so nobody bought them but yeah i i man i don't see sony getting back into the handheld game i think if anyone is going to try and get back into it they're probably the only ones who could i i don't know not, not the only ones who could microsoft certainly has the money but i don't see microsoft doing that I, I Sony could maybe try and get back in the handheld market, but something tells me they're not going to do that. I, I don't think they're going to try and compete with Nintendo or handheld uh, games on phones. Yeah, I no, I would not imagine so. Yeah, I mean, the 3DS compared to the DS hasn't done as well even, and I don't know um, how maybe uh, like a Sony handheld would even do if, if DSs aren't selling as well as they used to, especially now that... Nintendo has combined its handheld and home consoles, and that's how they're, you know, kind of keeping that handheld home console market for Nintendo alive. I don't see Sony doing that. So last week, we had briefly been talking about how 
you were very excited for Total War Three Kingdoms to be released, and you mentioned yeah. how it was a little strange that they didn't they they hadn't released any specs or any system requirements for now the game. Now we know why. Yeah. <laughs> Yet it was only about a month away from release, and then the very next day came the announcement that Total War Three Kingdoms had been uh, bumped back to May, a May twenty third release date. Yeah, that that game was when it was announced. Uh, I was extremely excited for it. I'm a, I really love Romance of the Three Kingdoms. Just, I, I just love that in general. I love that period. I love that work. It's one of those great Chinese like pieces of literature. It's fantastic. I love it, and I even love Dynasty Warriors as much of you know a weird take as that is. And so I was really excited for Total War Three Kingdoms, and it was slated for 2018, and then they delayed that until march 3rd or so of 2019 and you know i i figured okay a, a delay that that's fair enough and then like a month as you said or maybe even less than a month before the release they then said okay uh we need a few more months sorry guys yeah. so now yeah it's at the end of may so i mean we'll see uh it might get delayed again um we still have no system specs so i don't, I don't know what it would take to run this game but yeah, I guess they just keep delaying it. And I wonder I wonder what isn't panning out, like what they're having troubles with. I mean, we have seen some gameplay, right? We've seen a lot of developer mm-hmm. videos, a lot of updates and stuff. So Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I wonder what exactly the problem is. I guess we, we probably won't know unless they tell us at some point. But I do think the game looks really cool, especially for a Total War game, which to me... As much as I like the Total War games overall, they all seem very samey. Yeah. Um, and for I me, think... I guess seeing some of the new unique features that this game has as far as focus on heroes and stuff, that kind of got me excited as just to see a new take, it feels like, on the Total War franchise. Yeah, I, I've, I've got this weird love-hate relationship with the Total Wars. I really liked medieval one rome one especially and medieval two and i i know lots of people in the total war community there's a lot of people who always talk about those games as if they are the be-all end-all of total wars and nothing will ever be as good and creative assembly sucks now but i mean there are certainly things about those old total wars that really annoy me and i really don't like but i i've continued to buy total wars and play them but i haven't really been enjoying a lot of the newer total wars anywhere near as much but I keep getting them. Uh, I really liked uh, Total War Attila, mm-hmm. but that game was poorly optimized, and it hasn't been getting any recent support now, whereas Rome 2, which had come out before, has been getting new DLCs uh, this uh, last year, which was strange because that came out of nowhere. But I don't know. I, I kind of felt... Even, even Total War Warhammer, which was kind of this new take on total war instead of being historical it was going to be fantasy and it's very heavily focused on war first and foremost and not so much diplomacy or building an economy it's focused on war and hero units that's that's its big focus which is really different and it was it's a really neat take um but yeah for the historical titles they've all kind of you know kind of been doing what total war does and yeah like you had said with three kingdoms i am interested in the take on heroes and um, abilities and this kind of Chinese op—it's this operatic kind of ed- story 
being played out and it just so happens to be a total war game and i think that that there's a lot of room for cool heroes like lubu killing thousands of soldiers by himself and that would you know kind of fit in with that the work as this over-the-top thing but i can't help but wonder if they will change enough or if they'll make some big changes but still kind of get bogged down in a lot of the things people have been wanting total war to change namely ai uh, it looks like they've improved campaigns a lot there seem to be a lot of new features in campaign games which is fantastic that's that's my number one thing I've wanted from Total War games. But a lot of people have been pointing out things like AI and battles seems maybe the same as it has always been, which is absolutely not a positive. Mm-hmm. Sieges might not be very good. I don't know. And another thing is, this is all just, you know, speculation because we can't play the game yet. So we'll see. Uh, I, I will totally, I will absolutely pick up Total War Three Kingdoms. Uh, I really love the setting. The art, especially, I love everything I've seen about it. Uh, but, but but we'll we'll we'll, we'll wait and see uh, for when the game I'll, finally comes out. I'll wait out. and and see if you like the game or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then you'll may maybe make the jump depending. Right. But we'll see. You know, hopefully I'll know by May twenty third. But uh, you know, maybe it'll get delayed again. Doesn't get delayed again. Speaking of delays, I this is totally not on the agenda, but I just remembered that The Elder Scrolls Blades is supposed to come out sometime next month, and we still haven't heard anything out of Bethesda about that. Yeah, we've techni- we've heard as much as we have now as we did when it was supposed to launch last year. <laughs> so I don't which know is what's zero. going on there. It's, it's pretty yeah. goofy. It was I'm supposed to come t- out last November, and now it's supposed to come out March 31st. And I, I right now I don't see that happening. Yeah, Todd Howard's in a cold sweat right now. He's just freaking out. I don't know. Like, they showed off a bunch of stuff when they first showed off. Oh, yeah. Blades. Yeah. And then it's like, what, somebody lose their iPhone with all the files or something? Like, shit, we got to remake the whole game. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. So I guess, arguably, the the biggest news of the week, the the big thing everyone has been talking about and very outraged over and very empathetic towards people affected has been a huge amount of, of layoffs at Activision Blizzard. Um, mm-hmm. I guess as a little background, uh, what we heard as far as uh, Activision Blizzard's goals for like back in 2018 were to cut costs, I guess, and make more games. They haven't really made more games, but they, there was this this earnings report that came out this week where they talked about how they had a record year and then at the same time they laid off 8% of their workforce which amounted to 800 employees and i mean previous to this i think the biggest like layoff i remember in recent history or not even a layoff really was just when telltale closed down so unexpectedly and that's its own like crazy story where i don't even know what's going on there Mm-hmm. And of course, I don't think either of us are any sort of like have any sort of industry business analysis <laughs> knowledge or anything. But it is it's just super weird to see a such a huge company that's known for these big and really re- well received and really good games and successful games doing something like this. It's I mean, previous to this, they had they had closed the Heroes of the Storm. Uh, professional scene which cost a lot of people their jobs as well 
it's just I don't I don't know what's going on at Activision Blizzard, but it doesn't sound good. And what we've heard from a lot of people there is that it's not good things are going on over there as far as the people who are in charge, uh, who are in charge getting yeah, this, to make this, decisions. This comes at the very end, like um, just last, I believe last year, maybe earlier this year. I'm sorry, my sense of time is all mm. goofed up right now. But um, it's a flat circle. <laughs> at a BlizzCon or something, they were, it looked like they were going to show like a new Diablo thing, and it was a mobile phone game from a Chinese company that had made another game that was very similar. So people were speculating it would just be a reskin, and they came out and said, "Yes, we're going to have a new Diablo game for mobile phones." And some players asked, "Like, oh, is this like well, a joke?" Well, for one, or... I mean, the room just did not respond positively to that. Yeah, and then people asked, oh, is this like a joke? People were, you know, going, oh, man. And then they gave, uh, the person on stage gave that infamous, what, you guys don't have phones? <laughs> response, <laughs> which, hey, as bad as that is, oh, that's, that's that's fantastic. That is, that is memorable. That is, a, that is a pretty all right response. Do you guys not have phones? But yeah, coming off of that, it seems like public opinion towards Blizzard. Blizzard was kind of this golden child where... The articles I would always see about Blizzard were, oh, Blizzard's done this. Oh, it's so great. Overwatch. Oh, it's so great. Diablo 3. Oh, it's so great. Um, but yeah, I guess the Diablo community for a while has been unhappy with what Diablo 3 is. And now hearing about that mobile game, these layoffs, it's just like, wow, I've seen articles and public opinion turn real hard against Activision Blizzard. Uh, it is also, I mean, it's weird for me because technically I'm someone who did work in the gaming industry for a little while mm -hmm. i i was part of a an esports organization that was competing in the h1z1 pro league and i, I if you've never heard of that that's i mean <laughs> that's part of the that's reason okay. that it, that that is okay yeah it's part of the reason that it, it got uh shut down is that it had no viewership basically it was launched on the heels of of a game that had a very dwindling player base and yet they had this they put a lot of money it sounded like into this big initiative to have an h1z1 competitive scene um a lot of people moved out here to las vegas uh myself included for these jobs and we went through the process of of this league and i did the video content for my team and then um was this past november i believe was announced that um they so teams, I guess, it sounded like teams had just stopped receiving money from the H1Z1 Pro League. And then mm -hmm. that was its own weird thing that still, like, people are waiting for uh, money to be received, I guess. This isn't any, like, inside knowledge or anything from me. This is just based on reports. But, um, I mean, that cost a lot of people their jobs, myself included. And I was lucky enough to land on my feet with a very uh, steady video editing job that I ended up getting here in Las Vegas as well. Um, so I was very fortunate to have that happen, but it did leave a very bad impression on me of the esports industry, and I guess in a more general sense, the 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 volatility is that a word? The, uh, the volatility. The volatility is what I'm trying to say. It left a, a it gave me an impression that there is just this sense of volatility in the gaming industry in general because of just the amount of very like shaky things that we've seen happen with all of these people losing their jobs and i guess myself included yeah and i mean this is something that you know the gaming industry is kind of known for i mean there a lot of the big gaming industry is centered you know maybe on the east coast 
down in Texas or over in California for the North America uh, game industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, with that, you know, if you get let go, you know, just from a job, you're already in that region where all these companies are. So you've got these employees who just kind of are being cycled in and around and they, you know, they it's there's no real guarantee that you're going to get a long-standing job. Right. Amidst the Activision Blizzard debacle, I guess there's been a lot of talk about uh, game developers and workers need to form some sort of union and such like that because there isn't really anything like that that exists Mm -hmm. a lot of uh, news media companies have been pushing to do that as well um it's just i it's it's cool to me i guess that a lot of people have have shown these lights on these big problems and a lot of people are working to to try to just kind of call people out where call companies out where they're in the wrong very obviously yeah and I mean, it'll it'll be very hard for them to you know get the ball rolling on getting unionized. But I think this is something that that seems to affect you know pretty much every developer. And I think this is something that they are all pretty much in support of. But of course, your programmer, your artist, they're not the ones making the financial decisions for companies. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, and I mean, if you even if if you're a gamer and you're not directly involved if you play video games but you're not directly involved in the gaming industry or whatever i mean it, it, to me it would still it seems like it would still kind of leave a bad taste in your mouth this company that you uh buy products from is out there just treating the people who make these products for you very poorly yeah i don't think a, i don't think any game development company would really want to be known for that but i guess at the same time some it seems like they don't care they just all they care about is profits really because they know people will keep buying their games yeah and i guess that's the, the fundamental thing is people will holler on the internet but then pre-order a game anyway because oh well i really like it i like the i like what i've seen so yeah i mean these these companies you know hope that they can correctly judge how big and how serious of a backlash they will receive and how many like what kind of risks they're actually willing to take right uh today we're recording this on a thursday night uh today was the premiere of the second season of the overwatch league and i just have a little bit to talk about this because i really enjoyed the first season of the overwatch league it was this Brand new thing. I had played Overwatch. I personally enjoyed the game Overwatch. So it was very cool for me to get to watch all of these top players playing Overwatch at the highest possible level. Mm-hmm. Um, in my opinion, they did some really innovative stuff uh, in regards to making the Overwatch League something that is for everyone to watch. Um, the biggest esports scene, very clearly, is League of Legends. And League of Legends has all these teams like, you know, Cloud9 and whoever else competes because I don't fucking follow League of Legends. But you've got all these esports teams that compete and they've got all these names. And if you don't follow League of Legends, you have no idea where to start here. But with the Overwatch League, they they assigned each team to a city. So automatically you had you had a like NFL like um, reference point for. Yeah. You've got at least you've got a foot in to connect with something. You've got something to grasp onto if you've never played Overwatch, and if you have played Overwatch, then you've got an extra layer there. One of the coolest things to watch in the first season of the Overwatch League was the very high level DPS play, and I'm a terrible DPS player. I like to heal people and I like to tank, but 
it's very impressive to me to just watch the intense mechanical skill that so many of these people have where they're able to just click on people's heads and get all these headshots with with McCree or with Widowmaker sniping people from across the map. And so, in my opinion, the first season of the Overwatch League was a very cool thing. It ended with this grand finals on, uh, it was aired on ESPN. It was really a big moment for the world of gaming and for the world of esports. And then in the off season, as games, you know, cycle through metas, Mm-hmm. As especially competitive games like Overwatch. Overwatch fell into this meta that was very universally hated, the GOATS meta. Uh, a, com- a, com- a contender's team called GOATS had uh, run with this uh, three-tank, three-support comp. The idea being that you're doing so much healing output and so much uh, health is able to be absorbed by your tanks that the only way to counter GOATS is if the other team also plays GOATS, and thus we got the GOATS meta. And this became the meta at the highest possible level during the offseason, during the Overwatch World Cup. The Overwatch World Cup became a drag to watch because everyone was running GOATS and no one was running DPS. DPS Mm. is the thing that you tune into the Overwatch League to watch. You generally don't tune in to watch people heal one another or to to step out there as tanks. And if you diva, fire a bunch of, you know, missiles at people or run around with your shield if you're Reinhardt. And it's just, it's been such a persistently bad meta that Blizzard has failed to address that in general, I mean, there's been a, it, it, there's, there's been a very steep decline in popularity of Overwatch that they have failed to address. Like they, I mean, they've, they've brought in some new heroes, a new hero, I think since then there's been, I mean, there's been Hammond and there's been, um, Ash. Ash, fucking, because she's so forgettable. Uh, and none of these things really improved the game. So it's just, it's it's disappointing to me that they have failed to address any of these issues and that the game has just kind of been in this real stagnant state since then. And I tuned in to catch the first match of season two today. And wouldn't you know it, a lot of goats. <laughs> a lot of goats. You could see in the Twitch chat, just as everyone was asleep. The, it was not off to a good start. That's quite literally, I mean, balance is quite literally the most important thing in like any sort of competitive like esport. I mean, okay, yeah. popularity of the game, of course, but if it's not Yeah, balanced, that too, and that's one of the big things is that a lot less people seem to be playing Overwatch because of the state that it's in. I mean, mm-hmm. that combined with other factors, like I, I, there's been some arguments that there's been a lot more toxicity in Overwatch games uh, over time. I mean, there's always going to be toxicity in games, but the argument is basically that because of the way Blizzard has, uh, or I should say because of the way this game has evolved into this current meta, it has left it open to just the way that Overwatch is played kind of lends towards people being more toxic as far as calling each other out over comps that they don't like and such. Um, mm-hmm. not tending to take any of the blame upon themselves because it is a team-based shooter, and a lot of times people seem to just uh, blame things on their team rather than look at self-improvement. I think that's unfortunately just kind of a a fundamental. I'm not sure if that's a fixable part of Overwatch as a game, but I mean, when that translates to the pro scene, when people aren't playing the game as much, when they aren't enjoying playing the game and they aren't enjoying watching the game, then you start to run into problems as far as viewership and as far as success i would think Mm -hmm. i've always kind of felt that 
the bigger a game's esports scene, the more like the exponentially more toxic it is. I would say, yeah. I mean, because while you have people playing these games and seeing these really like high level plays, and it's re- it's really cool. I mean, you see things that like you've dreamt about or you didn't even know a person could do. You you can only just wonder like, how on earth is this person this good? Uh, you, you wind up with a lot of people who really think that they can do that and the sad reality is most people can't so then you know you kind of wind up with a lot of people who really think that they could be the next high level player and when you have a bunch of people who think that they could all be the next high level player and believe that they are better than everyone else on their team you wind up with just a a, not a very good a very volatile environment yeah because one mistake and everyone's gonna shit on you or one mistake and you shit on everybody else. Right. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I've just, I've noticed that a lot from like what I've played of Overwatch, even in quick play, which is not ranked, it's quick play. There's sometimes people who are, you know, ah, why are you doing that? Blah, 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 blah. And I've kind of been a victim of that too. I don't usually say that over voice chat because I don't think any anything will come of it. But, you know, sometimes we I've played matches and I'll think to myself, we really don't need a widow and a Hanzo right now, but you know I, I don't say anything because it's quick play. But yeah. you know, I I think on the whole that just the bigger esports scene can help lead to maybe a more toxic environment in first person shooters, right. or just any game in general, I should say. Because I've I've been a fan and a player of the Counter Strike games for a long time, like fifteen years or so. I've been really big into that series ever since i was really really young and not that i played competitively then or now but i've i've always enjoyed that series and i've never noticed those games being as toxic in the same way overwatch is yeah i mean certainly there's some degree of toxicity i mean there's some you could argue there's some degree of toxicity in everything in life but i think there's a degree where it crosses just you know it's it becomes an, an attitude, and it becomes like it be, in Overwatch. It becomes a natural thing, just because of the way the game of is, the interactions. Is yeah, because it's like it's it, part it's of the base interactions. On, yeah, sorry, it's part. It's it's very reliant on team composition. So mm-hmm. I I find in matches that people tend to get into arguments over uh, someone playing a character that they don't think really benefits the composition. And they may or may not be correct, but whether or not they are, it doesn't matter. It leads to an environment of hostility where either the person who uh, is being asked to switch feels like they're being attacked. Or oh, the person... Hanzo, man, you, you can't ask me to switch. Yeah, or even like in the person having to do the asking, feeling bad about that. Yeah. And I, 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 I have no idea how you would ever remedy that. I don't think you can because, like you pointed out, it's very role based, and if people need to switch, there's already a, there's already a conflict there. If you, if you're you know got people wanting the same kind of character or something, you've got a conflict there. People wanting someone to change, there's a conflict there. Whether or not how well you're performing, uh, in the current match, there's already a conflict and attention in the team there. I mean, it just kind of builds up, and I don't know how you could address that even with balancing i don't i don't see what you could do and so far blizzard's route has just been like censoring chat and so on yeah i think i okay Which, this is kind of unfair because sorry you want to say something? oh well no no i i didn't really oh, okay yeah just no, i was yeah, gonna well, say this is a little unfair because apex legends just came out but it feels like apex legends has 
a very positive environment, not just in accessibility to people who maybe don't want to c communicate in voice chat or whatever, but yeah. I mean, it's it's a very differently built game, of course. It just doesn't mm -hmm. seem like it's open to uh, to to blossoming as much of the hostility that you get inside your own team that you do on the 6v6 Overwatch. I, I was going to talk about, like, communication in Apex Legends. Did we do this last week? I don't believe we touched on communication last week. Okay, okay. I, I guess I'll, we, we okay, talked I'll stop. about the game in general, but we I don't okay. think we ever talked about okay. the, like, Our... the innovation of communication in that game. Okay, okay. Yeah, I'll, okay, so I'll, I'll just get into, like, the specifics of what I really like about Apex Legends communication. Okay. With Apex Legends, yeah, I mean, it's a completely different kind of game. It's not you know team v team on roots or something it's well it's team v team v team v team v team on a huge battle royale but with apex legends i mean communication you know there's there's still voice chat and there's still text chat but it has this great feature of being able to ping locations and it's got a wheel of kind of things you can ping it's not a it's not a wheel of an absurd amount of options for every single thing yeah. but it's a small enough wheel of like Maybe six or so options that you can easily select. So Not just you, locations. Always... I mean, you can ping items. You can say this is here. You can say I would yeah. like some of this if you see any. It basically, your you can identify saying, enemies. Saying if you get any of this ammo, could you could you point it out to me or give it to me? Yeah, and if um somebody points something out, you can also ping it and call dibs on it so yeah. that you can let other players know. So even if you don't have voice chat, there's there's an easy like way to vocally communicate and vocally and visually communicate with your teammates all in either with your controller or your mouse and not only that but okay let's say you're you're partnered up with a player who doesn't even want to use the pinging system okay i don't know why they wouldn't want to do that but even if they don't do that the characters themselves will audibly call things out yeah. without any input from the player so if they're running low on ammunition you might hear a character say running low if they need to reload they'll say they reload cover me if they're getting hit they'll call out uh when the battle royale uh zone shrinks um or is placed somewhere on the other side of the map one of the characters will call out we're far from the zone or we're pretty close already we're in good shape Th there's even if you choose, if you try your hardest not to communicate, there is a degree of communication there anyway. Yeah, it's also it's pretty fundamental. Helpful. It's also pretty fundamental because it is forced teams of three. You can't play solo. Yeah, yeah which I, I know I, a lot of people don't like, but I, because of this pinging system and all of these things that are already there, I don't mind playing in forced squads of three. Yeah, absolutely. Overwatch has... A communications wheel you can assign hotkeys you can you can say things i know i have my ex bound to hello so i can run around and spam hello just to be, <laughs> to be friendly or to be annoying um <laughs> yeah. and then i have some of my number keys are bound to things like um to acknowledge i i <laughs> sometimes if if someone will say something in voice chat and i don't want to respond via voice chat mm -hmm. i'll just i'll hit number four i think on my keyboard and my character will say understood or something along those lines uh, it's it's not as robust as Apex Legends, and I don't think it's I don't I don't think it should be just because they're two very different environments. And I know we've yeah. been talking about trying to figure out how to fix toxicity in Overwatch. Maybe something like that from Apex Legends, but also maybe 
that's not even applicable to this game. I don't know. They might be too. They they might be too uh, different of of beasts to to make that comparison. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, I mean, we we wouldn't really know how that would work out in Overwatch. I mean, uh, evidently, no one had ever thought about putting a pinging system in a battle royale until Apex Legends. So right, and I'm sure yeah. a lot of games are going to copy Apex Legends now. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a good thing, though. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's a Battle Royale game, but I've never been the biggest fan of Battle Royale games. I've played them with friends because they all, every like everybody I knew got really into them, so I was like, okay, I'll pick up Player Unknowns. I didn't, you heard, I you heard never of Fortnite? really played Fortnite. Uh, yeah, I heard of Fortnite? Wow. Uh, you played Fortnite? You, you, you like Ninja? Where are we dropping, um, boys? <laughs> like, yeah, I, I got Player Unknowns Battlegrounds. Never very good at that game. I'm not very good at most games, but... It was yeah, it was okay. It was fun to play with friends, but I was never too big into it. I never played Fortnite much at all. Uh, and Apex Legends came out, and it was oh whoa, whoa a new battle royale. Okay, uh huh. Okay, I'm sure this will work out very well. But it was free, and my friends were getting it, so I, I downloaded it to try, and it was very fun. And I I very much enjoy it right now. Not just as a battle royale game, but as a game in general. I think it's very fun. We'll see how long that lasts, but I, I really like what they've got here with the forced teams and the very robust communications right. and the gunplay just everything about apex legends feels really really good sometime i think we should spend an episode talking very in depth about battle royale games that we would like or what we would like to see in a battle royale game because we've talked about this before just kind of yeah. conceptualizing games based on the battle royale genre some of them start off as goofy ideas and then we flesh them out there's we can't do this now because we'll run very heavy but yeah. something we something that i think we should talk about in the future and anyway oh, yeah. to pivot i don't have to pivot this back necessarily but just to go back to overwatch um i i think just the initial thing i was trying to communicate was that this this season this second season is going to be so disappointing as a follow-up to overwatch league season <laughs> one if 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 nothing happens as far as this goats meta and it's been so persistent that i just i don't understand why there hasn't been i don't know maybe there has been an attempt to, to change it but it's just been bad i mean jeff kaplan has posted in forums and stuff about how they he didn't expect the goats meta to, to take over the way it did and i i they i i think i i don't know people have People seem to feel like Blizzard doesn't listen to them or over the Overwatch development doesn't listen to them as far as legitimate player concerns. And I think as far as what we're seeing right now, I think there might be some truth to that idea. What, you guys don't have counters? <laughs> like, Yeah, I mean, <laughs> hearing this, this stuff about what the meta in Overwatch is right now, man, does not make me too interested to watch overwatch yeah. or even get back into playing overwatch like i haven't right. i haven't touched overwatch in quite a while i've been busy playing other things and mm -hmm. hearing this it's like maybe i'll just keep playing other things instead of going into it's overwatch. Not a bad idea i'd say <laughs> yeah i think we're gonna take a quick break when we come back we're gonna talk about some of the games that we've been playing so you know what let me redo that i think we're gonna take a quick break here and when we come back we're going to talk about some of the games we've been playing
Welcome back to Hit Point Pals. Uh, if you haven't booted up your Epic Games launcher and grabbed your free copy of Axiom Verge, I just did that. I also had a I also had a friend re request from uh, Chainsaw Beard. I haven't uh, I haven't used the Epic Games launcher in a while, so I don't know why. Friend request from Chainsaw Beard. I call that's it all right. truly. Anyway, Axiom Verge. I don't know if you've ever played that. Uh, yeah, I, I got that on the Epic Games launcher and played a little of it. I thought, well, this is the Metroid game, and then I uh, didn't play any more. Not because it was bad, but because I had other things to do at the time, and I haven't gotten back into it. Cool. Um, oh, yeah, so, okay, so, speaking of the Epic Games Store, uh, Journey, the PS4, or pre previously the PlayStation exclusive uh, Journey game, where you are a robed man in the desert, that is coming to PC via the Epic Games Store. And yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know. I I really love that game. I I played it for the first time last month after I got a PS4. I got a PS4 primarily to play Spider-Man on the PS4, and I I got the Journey Collection or sorry, the Journey Collector's Edition, which is a collection of Journey and two other games that were made by the same developer, uh, that game company, all one word. And as part of Journey Collector's Edition, you can play two other games. One of them is called Flower, and I played this for the first time the other day. It has a kind of similar Journey vibe in that mm. it's it's very scenic. Um, in this case, you are literally playing the petals of, of flowers, and I, I didn't know what to think of it at first, but right off the bat, it gets you started with with using your motion controls in the PS4 controller. I guess it sounds like originally this came out on PS3, which also had motion controls. And mm -hmm. But to me, I had never experienced anything like this before. It almost felt like using a Wiimote to, to do that sort of motion control type stuff. And so mm -hmm. I, I had a lot of fun for, I don't know how long it took, like an hour and a half maybe, just kind of like sitting there and learning how to how to correctly like use my PS4 controller as like a steering wheel and drive my little pedals around the map. It was a really it was a really interesting game to play. And for some reason, and this really baffles me, it's coming to PC. And I I feel like I wouldn't recommend you to play it on PC as much as I liked it because I think the primary reason I liked it was that it used the motion controls. And that it was a really cool experience, and I don't know how that's going to translate to PC if it's just going to have you use WSA and D. That would, I think, take away a, a core part of the game experience. Yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to see what the what the quality of these ports to PC is, anyway. Like, yeah, Journey, I imagine, Journey. would be amazing. Flower, mm -hmm. I just I feel like there would be a big disconnect, just because I have played. The original on PlayStation with the motion controls, and to me that game was built around the motion controls. Unless you have some wacky PC peripheral, I, I that's compatible. I don't know that you'd really get much value out of Flower on the PC. Yeah. Anyway, I've been playing. That's oh. what I've been playing this week. I'll turn it over to you as far as what you've been playing. Yeah. Um. I've been playing. Well, nothing new, but not technically old either. Um, I've been well, trying to get back into. Well, flower isn't new. That's 
been out for a while. Uh, true. And some some journey. Those are all PS3, yeah. PS3 things. Yeah. I've been playing. Um... <coughs> Jesus. <coughs> I think What's the game developers on? just came to kill me. <coughs> oh, woo, that went down the wrong <laughs> pipe. Anyway. Oh, Jesus. What the fuck? <coughs> well, I was playing Dark Souls. Uh, <coughs> yeah, this is <laughs> the Dark Souls of coughing. I've been playing Dark Souls Remastered. Um, it's essentially just Dark Souls again, as I, I suppose you're saying. No, duh. It's a remaster, not a remake. What? But um, I know there's some people, at least on PC, who would prefer to play the original PC port, um, Dark Souls Prepare to Die Edition, with some mods rather than fork out $40 or $20 if you own the previous one for a remaster that essentially just changes some textures a little uh does some altering to a lighting model and a few quality of life features it's it's not, not as big of a remaster as i think a lot of people hoped i think a lot of people hoped for a remake instead of a remaster but that aside it's still dark souls and i really do enjoy the dark souls series so that's been a lot of fun getting back into and getting back in the groove of getting my skull smashed in over and over again yeah i think you and i picked this game up for ten dollars in total Yes, during the Steam Lunar Sale. Yeah. Because if you own the... Uh... If you own Dark Souls, it gives you a permanent 50% uh, discount. And then the Lunar Sale, I believe, added a 25% discount. And these two things stacked. So it went yeah, from $40 so you... to $10 for me. Which, hey, if you can get Dark Souls remastered for 10 bucks and you already own the previous Dark Souls, I'd say it's a good investment. <laughs> Are you all uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you can get Dark Souls remastered for $10 as opposed to like the $40 full price or $20 uh, without an extra sale, I'd say for 10 bucks Dark Souls remastered uh, is worth it. Yeah. Also for for our for for any of our listeners, we we're, I I think you'd agree with me if I said we're we're quite thrifty PC gamers. Oh yeah. Yeah, so I mean, if you're if you're here hoping for us to talk about all of the latest new releases, I don't think we're going to be doing that. Not necessarily. I mean, we we like to talk about upcoming games and stuff, but I don't I don't think either of us necessarily uh go out and buy all of the latest games at full price. I tend to wait until a sale if it's a game that I'm really interested in and then I tend to wait a couple of years or so for a steep discount if it's just a game that I have like a passive interest in, I guess. Yeah, I mean it would be a very rare game to make me go out and buy it full price. Yeah, I mean, there's been a couple. You played Resident Evil 2 right away. Yeah, I got that on Green Man Gaming for like a 15% discount. I can <laughs> tell you... Uh, trying the, to save money the, no matter what. I, I can tell you the only game that I ever... Or I should say the first game that I ever pre-ordered was Mass Effect Andromeda. Ah, Because I go? absolutely loved the Mass Effect trilogy. How did it go? <laughs> Not super well. Uh... <laughs> I mean, I could talk about Mass Effect Andromeda for a whole podcast, but I enjoyed it more than most people did. I still didn't like it very much. Oh, okay. And I think it I think it goes on sale for like five bucks now. Would you so, recommend it at five bucks? Oh, absolutely. Oh hell yeah. Especially if you liked the other Mass Effect games, five bucks, that's 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 a great deal, actually. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I don't really like talking about games in terms of like what they're worth for the price they are 
I know mm-hmm. a, a lot of websites do that, and I think it makes a ton of sense, especially as a consumer. I mean, I look at that stuff. But yeah. for me, if I'm going to talk about, like, a game, I like to talk about it in terms of, like, the game as a piece of art rather than is this worth what you paid X amount of dollars for, like, as far as the time it takes to play the game or just whatever. I don't know. It, to me, that's that, that shouldn't be... Uh, like a factor that that i account for when i if i were to like review a game i mean i don't even like formally reviewing games i i like to talk about them and i like to discuss like the intricacies of a game but i i don't like to go out and say this is this is worth this price or it's not worth this price or you should get it when it's on sale not not really i mean i'll talk about that stuff sometimes but in general i try to like steer clear of that sort of discussion if that makes yeah, any sense. I, I, I suppose a problem with the value of game with price. Thing, I mean, I, I use it too. I, I mean, I just used it with how much I think you should pay for Dark Souls Remastered. But yeah, yeah. I think a problem with that is, you know, what metric do you use? Uh, or I, I, I suppose you'd have to use a combination of metrics for deciding like price to whether or not a game is worth it. Because there are lots of games out there that tout 100 hours of gameplay and so forth. Those are there are a lot of games like that are things I would never spend sixty bucks on. Yeah, I mean, if for me, if, if the value of a game to you is based on how many hours of play time you get out of it, then it's just a straight up math equation, and that doesn't make any sense when you're looking at something that's that I consider to be art. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the games that I really really like are quite short. I mean, a lot of them are also really quite long, but you know, there's a lot of games that are really really short that I really love, and there are some games that I've played that are really short and don't really have much on the line of replayability, but I still really enjoyed the experience, kind of like, I don't know, seeing a movie or something. Right. I think there's also a lot of really cool indie games that are short experiences that they tend to get these reviews, I I feel like, that are like, this wasn't worth two hours. But I I don't know. To me, it's like, if I played a really short indie game, if I paid $10 for it or $20 or however much I paid for it, and it was a cool experience and I liked it. I mean, that sort of thing doesn't really matter to me because I know that there's like AAA games and we have different expectations for AAA games and indie games. So mm-hmm. it just doesn't make a ton of sense to me to look at an indie game that an indie game that, that gives you a couple hours of playtime and try to argue about whether it's worth the price or not. Yeah. Is there anything yep. you want to add? Uh, no, I think I'm. I think I think I'm good. If you've made it this far in the podcast, we'd be very grateful if you left us a positive rating uh, on iTunes or whatever service you're using, if it allows ratings. We'll be back next week with more sweet, succulent, juicy gaming goodies. If you have enjoyed Hit Point Pals, uh, be sure to share us with your friends. We'd love for more people to listen to us talk about games. That's Hit Point Pals for this week uh, for William and for myself. Well, I can't say it twice. I can't say this has been Hit Point Pals. I already said that. Uh, For William and myself, we'll see you next week. Hell yeah.